This episode, we're finishing up our series on building a service model and a minimum standard of care. We'll cover mapping your clients' contacts throughout the year. We'll also talk about building processes to ensure proper execution and accountability. In the processes section, we say general, but it's really important that you think about how the machinery will work. When do the contacts get initiated and scheduled? What do those contacts look like? Who handles the follow-up, et cetera, et cetera. You even have to think through things like what are your contingency and backup plans? It's building a workflow and without it, the model will never work. And building processes that last are a challenge. So you can always email us at thewholetruth at touchstonefunds.com because we're here to help. Finally, we'll finish the episode with some client engagement ideas. Always a lot of fun. So ready, everyone? Let's do it. The views expressed herein are those of the participants and not those of Touchstone Investments. And welcome, everybody, to The Whole Truth. I am Steve Side, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and partner, Mr. Kurt Dupuy. Kurt, welcome. Thank you, sir. How are we doing? How are we doing? I don't know. It's weird times. These, these episodes are, I guess, supposed to be la- you know, last forever and those kind of things, but we're recording it during a shelter in place, which is a weird time for everyone. You know, I'm in the Bay Area, as, as you all know, and we've had some pretty tight guidelines, restrictions is what you would mm-hmm. say. I mean, for a long time. And it's, it's you know, it, it, there's really no end in sight at this point. How, how are things down in Atlanta for you? Work from home with two little ones is uh, is a challenge with yeah. number three coming around the corner. Uh, so there's you know, there's a, a modest level of some stress and anxiety in figuring out work from home life, but we'll figure it out day by day. So we're making lemonade out of lemons right now in the sense that, you know, <laughs> our days of running around and going around and seeing people right now are non-existent. So we have more time for the podcast and, and recording and all that. And so this will be a pretty productive time for us to, to do some recordings. And what this episode is going to be about, we're continuing our client service series. And this is going to be about probably the most important thing, which is implementation and processes. You know, we, we've, we've gotten through the design of the client service model, which is client segmentation. It's thinking about the types of contacts that you're going to do in your model and going down through each of the ABCDs and laying out the number of contacts. And that makes up the service matrix. And that's all well and good, but now you got to figure out, okay, when and how exactly do all these contacts get done? And that's what this episode is going to be going to be about. We're going to focus on um, a lot of those issues here. And then at the end of this episode, we're going to come back with a, with some unique client touch ideas that we've been doing um, over the last couple of episodes. If you get nothing else from this podcast, a bunch of really cool client engagement ideas you can take away. Well, and this episode is also going to be different because there's no no one size fits all. It's going to depend, like the first two steps of client services are going to dictate how it gets implemented. The firm you're at is going to dictate how it gets implemented. So I really think we're just sharing some thoughts and best practices and and things to think about when getting into implementation, because there's no, you know, we we can't come up with an Excel spreadsheet for this that's distributable in mass because it's going to be customized. So this is just kind of tips and tricks on, on actually taking all the work you've done and implementing into your practice. That's right. Two things we're going to focus on. Let's start here. The first is mapping out your contacts over time. And then the second piece is developing the processes to execute all this. So let's let's start with mapping out contacts. So if you followed us, you've completed, as we mentioned before, that service matrix, which is your number and types of contacts. 
what we suggest you do from there is to pull out a sheet and map all these contacts by month. So won't surprise you. We have a tool for this. You can email us and we'll give you um, a spreadsheet that actually maps all these things up and automates it for you. But if you want to do it on your own, here's what it looks like. It's a very basic Excel spreadsheet. You have January through December and your tabs on the bottom and that's your starting point. And then what you're going to do is start to build out the contacts per month. Now, when that's in place, there is likely going to be busy times in the year where you're not going to be doing client contacts. May not necessarily be the case for everybody, but here's an example. Around tax time, some people don't want to do client reviews, and so you pull that time out of that monthly sp- – you may not even have April or whatever that is around there. You know, the end of the year. Or holidays, people, yeah. Holidays, yeah. Once you have your uh, your months pulled out, just just move out the times that, you, that you're not going to do the reviews. And then you actually get to breaking out the contacts over time. And there's a couple of ways to approach this. The, the the most important thing is the buckets that you want to think about is separate the heavy lifting from not heavy lifting, right? Yeah. What the former reviews are mandated by regulators and 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 a lot of firms. You know you're going to get those, and but those are labor intensive, right? Yeah. So divide and conquer there in an appropriate way. But if you're implementing some something like the Google Alerts for for gardening or something that you know your clients are into, maybe that's something that support staff can help with or a junior FA on the team can can lead the way there. Yeah, that's a great point. So you think about something else like electronic communication. That takes no time at all to to put together that communication and, and deliver it if it's something that's coming directly from the firm. But Kurt's point is exactly right, which is separating out the things that are going to take time. And so you got to lay it out over time. So let's say you've got 100, 100 clients you're going to do a certain number of reviews per year. Sometimes that might be one, two, whatever. You got to break that out. And my general advice to you is just to start somewhere and it doesn't matter how. Just have a method. So let me give you an example. Some people start the contacts by going on the month of the client's birthday. Some people start it by, hey, when's the last time we did a review? And we'll start there. Some people do another way. So the point is just use that as a way to start breaking out those formal reviews over time. And then you could fill in the rest of the contacts around that. So for example, if if Kurt Dupuis, I'm doing his formal review in February because let's say that for whatever reason I'm doing that, and I have five other touches to do with Kurt throughout the rest of the year, well, it's pretty easy to just break it out and just say, okay, every other month I'm going to put in those different contacts with Kurt. And so I have a cycle for contact incurred throughout the year. But the point, the important point is just to have a starting point. Yeah, so quick sidebar, imagine how different some conversations would be if you went with your reviews on the birthday month versus market peaks or market troughs. <laughs> that that could be either like the best birthday present you're giving someone or complete slap in the face and, yeah. and send, sending them to blow out their birthday candles in sadness. Yeah, once you start getting these cycles in place, you can begin to set expectations for for clients. So if I know that I'm doing Kurt's review, he's an A client, so I'm going to do two formal reviews in a year or whatever, and I'm going to do it in February and June, I could set expectations to Kurt for that happening. I could say, Kurt, you know, we are raising our level of client service. That's something that we want to consistently do all the time for you. Each year, you could expect better and better levels of client service. And this year, we're just being more systematic of 
how we're trying to contact you. So I want you to know that you're going to have a certain number of reviews. So we're going to do these two formal reviews. We're going to do it in February and June. How does that sound to you? And they might say, yes, hopefully say yeah, whatever. You come with this two months. So, okay, great. So Kurt, you can expect a call from me the month before just for us to lock down a specific date. How many times do we, Kurt, talk to FAs and they say, you know, I want to do these contacts, but I can't get in touch with this client or scheduling. I mean, it's something we yep. come across all the time. So being systematic. Well, what's, what's that old presentation phrase that, you know, you tell people what you're going to tell them, you tell them. And then you tell them again what you've already told them, Correct. right? If you're setting up that expectation. So a, a thing to tease out of, of what you just said is tell people what you're doing. Tell people that you are elevating their level of service and that you're putting a new game plan. And that in 12 months, you'd like feedback to see how, how it's how is it going. You know, what, you're putting a lot of thought and effort into this. It would be good to get feedback, positive or negative, to help tweak the system on the back end. Yeah. And, and what's the end result besides the client feeling like they're getting better service is your life's a lot easier because your scheduling's easier. Their expectations are set. You know when you're doing it, right? We always talk about time being your most important commodity and all this type of stuff is meant to save you time and unlock capacity for you, you know, in your day to day. So, all right. So let's, let's continue on. So you're following along, right? And so you're building out these contact spreadsheets. I, I will admit up front, they're a little bit tedious for you to go through every client, map out each contact. It's a little bit annoying. You may want to incorporate some folks to help you in it, but here's what I can say. When you've done it, it's done, right? You only yeah. got to do it once. And yeah. so from there you can choose to, okay, do I want to put it in CRM or but just getting to the point where you've mapped out all your client contacts over a particular year is a, a really nice milestone, I would say, for a practice. Yeah. So a, a, a couple of thoughts. And so some firms, not all technology is created equally. And some firms are kind of further along with integrating these types of things into, into their systems. And so, which is again, why, why we have to be a little bit more generic um, in, in what we're describing. But second aside is... I have a client that actually backed in to the number of hours he had to dedicate on any in a given year to his clients, assuming a certain number of clients, a certain amount of time reviewing. He came up with basically Tuesdays and Thursdays every every week, I think 49, 50 weeks out of the year, is going to be doing just client reviews. And what that did for him is freed up time for him mentally to say, well, when I have this golf social on Monday afternoon, I can be okay with that because I have time to go out and do that because I'm taking care of the clients I, I already have. So I thought that was a really unique way to, to think about it and document and, and establish a, a process. That's great because anything that's really important, you should block out dedicated time to do it. That does not get violated unless there's an emergency. Okay. We mapped out these contacts. Okay. That's on a paper right now right? It's in an Excel spreadsheet. It's going to live here. Now you got to actually figure out how to do this in your busy world. So so most of what we wanted to talk about in this episode comes down to processes. And so the main point to take away is you should have a process. So you have to design a system and process that that encourages you to, to work through this in a systematic way, or it's not going to work. And you'll be back to square one where you were before you designed the model. And I'll just reemphasize a point that we've we've made before, and we'll probably continue making. This is why we are here. Yeah. This is this is why we're recording this podcast. This is why we have clients that are into that. I mean, this is you don't have to do this by yourself. We've we've done it a fair number of times, and we're 
as both a kind of systems engineer, but also kind of that ac- accountability to the system. That's large part of why why we have jobs and why we exist and why we take this seriously and enjoy it so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So we know we want to build a process. What's the starting point? So the starting point to think about is you've got all your contacts mapped out for a given month. What does that workflow look like? And I'll give you an example of one that's worked for some of my teams. They get their client contacts for the following month delivered to them the month before. So it is December of 2020. And I'm going to get at the beginning of that month, my contacts for January, 2021. What that allows me to do is it allows time to schedule. It allows times for preparation. It allows all those things. If I get it a month before, you may decide that two weeks before is fine or two months before is better. But having that lead time to get that set up, I think is really critical and an important first step in a process. Little little commercial for someone we have no uh, relationship whatsoever, but I, I do have a couple of clients. Depending on your legal structure, you can use a service called Calendly, which actually lets clients get on your calendar. Oh, that's so you you get this list on December first. You can email it out to everyone. Say, hey, look on this link. Schedule your time for January, so you don't have to have the back and forth. That's fantastic with, with scheduling. They can look at. Joe advisor and say, okay, I know a Tuesday, the 13th at three o'clock, they have an opening, boom, click it. It's then reserved. And we've all been in processes like that. Like how much easier is that than calling and trying to figure out calendars? You can look at it once you can click and it's done. We've used them and those things are, are, are pretty amazing. I love it. So that could be part of your process. As long as you're building that workflow, that's kind of the key point. And what you're doing is you're mapping out the key items, you know, when, in this case, when you receive your contacts, what steps do you take? You know, what are what are the uh, timelines? What are the accountability? Those sort of things. And if you could build that out, that's kind of the where we want to get you. I know, Kurt, this is kind of high level, but hopefully, I'm being clear about about what I'm talking about here. Yeah, I got you. No, this this is your jam. I had the benefit of being able to see your face on the other side, and he's like pointing at his head. He is getting in the zone. This is this is optimum Steve side right now. Yeah, I, I'm a framework guy. I don't know if like Kurt makes fun of me for that. L- a little like bit. A, I'm a little bit of a framework guy. I, I think if I took one thing away from MBA school, it was processes and framework. Like if you just open the book on consulting and all that, all it is is a bunch of frameworks and processes. So I did learn one thing from MBA. No, I learned a lot. I love my MBA build out that process, that workflow, we could certainly help you to do that. What else should we be thinking about here, Kurt, as it pertains to you know building processes? You got to plan for the unexpected. So what what are the contingency plans? When, when are you going to receive? You know, we just use the example of receiving at the first of the month. Maybe it's the middle of the month. Maybe it only takes you a week to, to schedule next month's meetings. That's fine. But let's, let's figure out who's going to deliver it. What are you going to do if clients don't respond? That's a hard one. Do you have, you have a plan there? Yeah. Something to think about there. And most importantly, because a lot of people are going to fall into this, especially when starting something new, what happens if you fall behind? Yeah. What are you going to do if it's March and you're, you're already behind? You haven't been doing the reviews like you said you were going to do back in December. What do you do? If you don't build in those contingencies, what'll happen is you'll break the model. If you start falling behind in this, it's death. And then you're back to the beginning, which is which is chaos, which is no plan at all and no model at all. So I think you got to think through all those things. I think the toughest one for me is thinking through what to do with unresponsive clients. 
my advice to FAs on on this front is it depends on how unresponsive they are. You know, I always find it kind of interesting and crazy. And I know this happens for a variety of reasons because people are people and you inherit accounts, or whatever. But like some people just say, like, oh, my clients don't respond to me at all. It's like, what do you do with that? You know? We see that a lot. I know. I, I, and I, I can't, I don't work with the compliance department, but I, I think of what kind of risk That's that is. Because we, yeah. we talk, uh, you know, a lot about who's going to be more litigious, your, your best clients or the people that never respond if things were to go sideways. So I, I don't know. I, I hear stuff like that. And it's like, is, is whatever incremental revenue they're driving to your business that's worth a key that? Point. But that's a complete another sidebar. Yeah. And the, and the other pushback that I, you know, the, the thing to think through is like, okay, you build this model. What about clients? I, I hear FA say, oh, this client doesn't want to be contacted that much. And the, the pushback I have is you can reduce the amount of contacts to some degree, but you got to find a way to be relevant to your clients. If you got an A client and you're going to tell me you only want to see them once a year, I'm going to push back to you and say, you better figure out a way to be more valuable to that person. That's just yeah, the way I, I think about it. I tend to, Well, I think of it as if we're developing a system here, it should be an opt out system. So if a client is very vocal about not wanting, if, you know, if they are an A client, you've decided you've got two reviews and, you know, one client appreciation thing or, you know, whatever, whatever those touches look like. And they come out and tell you that that's too much. Okay. That's fine. They can opt out, but that is your default system versus an opt in system. Whether you go and ask all your A clients, like, is this okay? It's like, no, you're not asking permission here. If they're really against what you're trying to deliver to them, that they can opt out, I guess, but it should be an opt out system, not an opt in system. And I, and I think that makes sense. And and I would even give limits to that because the idea here is to build an experience that you are driving that, you know, again, we talk about minimum standard of care, but your model should be delivering some kind of experience that, that you're driving. And so you don't want a portion of your clients not to have that experience if they're, if they're important to you, which, which they should be. So let me sum up. In this segment, we we talk through a couple of things. The first is mapping out the clients over time. And then the second part, which is equally important, is building the processes to execute on that service matrix and on that model. Two very key parts to implementing a client service model. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about processes, just wrap that up a little bit, and then start to get into a couple of other final points around client service. This is The Whole Truth. Stick with us. And welcome back, everybody. We want to tie a little bit of a bow around this idea of processes. So we're going to bring up a couple of topics here. The first is we're going to say is we're going to talk about, you know, you've got this model in place, you've laid out the contacts, you've got your processes. But what happens when a client, you end up talking to a client for whatever reason earlier on? Like you had a formal review scheduled with that client in June. You end up engaging with a client in March, which happens all the time. It's a really simple answer. You can check that off your list. But I get that all the time. It's like, what do you do about the future contacts? Well, you talk to a client, go down and just check it off. And I think that's that's worth mentioning. The second thing I want to bring out has to do with structure of the meetings. Now, we will we will get into this in a future episode for sure, because this is something that people always want to know is like, what's the ideal client meeting? But what I would say is just make sure you have a structure and we could talk about best practice in the future. But Make sure you have a structure to these engagements, whether they're formal reviews or anything else. Well, and, and the other thing that I think we want to emphasize, and I think we can do, it's kind of the same questions and the answer, the answer is the same on both. 
So how do we answer the question of, are we doing this well, but also how do we get better? Yeah. And in both cases, I think, I think the answer is you measure it. Yep. Yeah. So am I, am I doing this well? Well, you can measure this by asking your clients. Yep. You know, something I think we're big, we're both big advocates of, of kind of having a a consulting group within made up of your own clients, right? An advisory board where you're asking, you're, you're talking through these ideas with them and telling them what you're going to roll out. And then after you've rolled them out, you're asking for feedback on what you've rolled out. So measuring that and having those conversations with clients and have them give you a score, come up with some sort of survey that puts definitive structure around their perception of what, what they're getting. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can measure things, but it's important to measure. Another example of a measurement, you know, how much free time and capacity are you creating from year to year? Are you getting better? You know, from having your formal reviews, you know, how quickly do you get through the action items relative to what you did before? Make sure you're measuring it. Make sure you're raising your game. You should want to get better at this each and every year. And the only way that you'll know how to do that is if you, you measure it. I'd be curious if you run into this much, but I b- believe in, in everything that, w- that we just talked about, but I live in the South yeah. and sometimes things just move more slowly. I can think of people on both sides, people that are highly efficient and want to and run the tread off the tires of their practice. Mm-hmm. And I can think of folks that have three hour client reviews. It's, yeah. it's just the world, the world I live in down in the South. Do you, do you run into that in the Bay area at all? Or are you more like- a type people that just want to get in and get it out. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to rush the client engagements. The types of things I think you want to optimize is after the client leaves the processes, the things that you have to get through just because you have that you don't want to draw out, you know, the action items, the processing of paperwork, you know, all those things. Those are the things that if we can tighten up, I I, I think most people, regardless of where they live, would want to streamline i would think but how yeah. you should never want to streamline like how long the relationship spend, yeah you, you're exactly. not looking at that maybe sometimes you feel like with some clients maybe, you maybe wanna, sometimes yeah you want to stream like a, i think my wife wants to streamline her relationship with me so there. <laughs> um yeah in summary those are just a couple of things that we you know the questions and comments that we get brought up that we thought was worth mentioning in this episode but again the key takeaway is mapping out the contacts and building your processes and uh, we're certainly happy to to help you with that so we're going to transition there Kurt and we're going to do in the final part of this section we're going to throw around some client contact ideas because we've done this before and I think you and I both agree it's it's really fun to do and and our audience takes a lot out of it so let's just you know you want to do Top five, top three, like just throw them out there. What's your last time we had thumbs up, thumbs down, and we had everything was thumbs up. So, what's your approach here? Let's do three, and I'm going to start with my weakest and see if I can get a thumbs down from you. Okay. A practice that is as old as time, and I think a lot of people talk about it. I think very few people do it handwritten notes. Considering I had that on my list, uh, I can't give you a thumb down. Oh. I love, I love, I love handwritten notes. I love it. And I'm guilty in my own business of saying, I'm going to write everyone a handwritten note and I don't do it as well as I should. So I've got to get better at that. But I am a huge, huge fan of handwritten notes. It just says something about the importance of the relationship or the importance of the interaction when you know someone is sitting there and writing 
that note, I mean, God, it's hard to write these days. Have you ever written extensively I, after? It's not easy, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I, I decided I want to do this for a week and I get like 20, 20 cards in. I was like, okay, I'm done with this for a year. My, yeah. My, it's my like hand is going to be in a sling after this. Yeah. So can I, let me tell you two stories about handwritten notes. Sure. Um, one is when I first started wholesaling, I traveled with a guy at my previous firm down in Florida that had this reputation, had wholesaled for like two or three decades. And after every meeting he had, he would write a handwritten note. It doesn't matter if he knew the advisor for years and years and years, he'd write a handwritten note. So me driving with him in his car, he'd pull down his little wind visor and he'd have just a stack of cards that in the hotel the night before, he's just cranking them out. Yeah. That's impressive. It really is impressive. That's really me. impressive. Yeah, yeah. The other story, so my, my wife went to Virginia Tech. She's a Hokie. And the former basketball coach, before he got a job, you know, kind of rags to riches story, he was, you know, like the equipment manager for a, a few different teams. Every week he would write 20 notes to prominent head coaches in the country, just like asking for a shot or just saying what he learned that week. And he would cycle through about a hundred different names, but every week he'd write 20 cards and and send it out. And he did this from college through when he got a head coaching job, which is like 10, 15 years later. It's amazing. And you think about something like that and you'd say, oh, wow, it's really hard to get jobs in college basketball and blah, 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 blah. And so, so many people want them. And a lot of our businesses like that, you know, there's, there's competition for clients, there's competition from our side and, you know, getting advisor's time. But I always find it kind of interesting that in these hyper competitive places or spaces, how easy it is to differentiate. How easy? Now, I'm not saying writing a million cards is easy, but that's not well, it's the rocket science, right? Simple and easy. That's right. That's you right. That, that, yeah. That's that's the paradox. I think we run into all the time. The different because nothing that we're talking about is extremely hard. It's it's thoughtful, but you know it's getting it down to the Im implementation level that the rubber meets the road and becomes a lot really difficult. Some people are willing to sit there and sign those thank you cards and some people aren't. But I'll tell you what, they matter because every time I've gotten one, they've mattered. So that's enough on handwritten cards, but big thumbs up there. Completely agree with you on that. All right. Well, then, you're, right. then you're up since you got one fewer now. This one's going to be around client events. So I've been to hundreds of client events. I'm sure you have too, Kurt. The social ones are fine. They're interesting. They're usually a good time. We check the box. The best client events that I've been to are ones where it is where you're accomplishing something or you're learning something or you're taking something away. Because you're about to steal something from me now. We've all, you know, gone to the nice dinner and the appetizers and the drinks and the cocktail party. And, you know, the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh God, anyway. So it's like, what are you taking away? But if I went to an event where I actually accomplished something or learned something, that's something that's impactful. And let me give you an example. I have an FA who does workshops for clients' kids. Let me share a couple of workshops. One, they brought in a teacher that helps write college essays. So think about, oh. it. do you have client, you know, you know what time of year the kids are getting into this, right? Uh -huh. You got 200 clients, you're saying, you know, you shoot an email out to your clients. You say, are any of your kids um, applying to college? If you got a big book, there's going to be someone. And then sure. they did workshops about writing college essays. I also saw a workshop, it's related to that, around interviewing for their first job, which by the way, doesn't have to be college kids. Everybody could yeah. be better at interviewing. You know, is there someone in your life that, you know, 
is interviewing for a job or whatever. I will tell you this. If, if you help someone in my life, my kid, my relative, my friend, how much that's major. You get tons of mileage out of that. Yeah. Well, that's, so that's, I literally had written down, learn something new as, yeah. as a client uh, event type thing. And I was thinking of harvesting the relationships you have. Like if someone owns a coffee shop, doing like a little talk on coffee, what yes. do the beans come from? What does yep. the process look like? If someone that owns a brewery, same thing, right? Having that shared experience um, amongst your clients where they can learn something new and not just sit around and eat a steak dinner. Yeah. And, and you know, even if it's the cocktail thing, you could have people talk about the wine or the whiskey or the beer or whatever. And so learn about beer making and yes, things like yes that. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, yeah. You're like, I would like all three of those things. Those are all um, sounding good. Client event, practical, and and I, I just think sounds fun. Shred party. Oh, I, I know. I've, I've heard of these. Yeah. Have Explain. we talked about this one? So, so clients bring their shreddable documents. You cook a big pig. You have shredded pork. So for so for the ve- for the vegan in me, I hate this idea. But but go ahead. But continue. again, I'm in I'm in the south. People eat pulled pork. Fair. So you got pulled pork, and and shredding documents. There you go. It's a it's a twofer. Again, you're accomplishing something, especially in the area of you know people stealing identities and identity theft and all that. So I think I think that's a great one. This is a fun one. Maybe it's not super unique, but I'm gonna throw it out there anywhere. Is movie night where you rent out an entire movie theater. It's usually yeah. around Star Wars or some big movie like that. Or if but, you're like me, it's Frozen. It's fr- well, but that's <laughs> but you get to an important point. Again, are we just doing our finances or are we helping us with our kids and with our you know what I mean? It's like that type of stuff. And helping create is, experiences. That's exactly right. Okay. So you want to do one more piece and then close up on this? Yeah, I I've got a good one because it's something a friend did for me when we bought our first house. And so last time we did this, we talked about kind of milestone events in someone's ha- in someone's life, buying a house, obviously a, a big event, either personalized stationery or some sort of stamp with your return address. Not only is that a pain to have to write your return address every time, the stamp, you know, it can be pretty and a really f- thoughtful thing to do for people. Yeah, that's a great one as well. Okay, and I will throw one more out there. So there's two I'm thinking of, but but we'll we'll stick with this one. A charity lineup. So the idea is not to get a bunch of charities in the room and have, you know, kind of push your clients for donations. In fact, you almost want to say that donations aren't going to happen at this. It's like learning about the different charities. So you can bring your clients in because most really wealthy people have their charities, but they also you know, where do you learn about new ones? You know, you either get invited. So like, so like lining I thought about up, the same thing myself. Yeah, That's great. We did an event where my wife volunteers for what's called the Marine Mammal Center in um, in Marin County, where they rehabilitate seals and sea lions. Like how cool is that to, to do a talk on that? And then you could have all the, I mean, there's a million great charities you got to figure it out. And the, you don't want to put pressure on people to donate. It's almost like take that off. It's the just table. information. This is yeah. an information session and a way to learn about uh, some cool charities that are happening. I think that's great. Yeah. I'm going to throw one more in there while, while, we're, while we're at Go it. Go ahead. Because uh, I have a yep. little bit of bias because my cousin does this for a, a living, but in-home cooking classes. Oh, that's great. So you can have three, four couples, say it's one client and, and a spouse, and they have to bring one or two other friends. It's great for getting referrals and great, you know, whether it's their house, your house, really good, kind of blurring the lines of personal and professional, but in a good way. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. And and one thing we didn't talk about with metrics in our service model before, but you made me think about it now, is referrals. So our, you know, looking at the number of referrals you're getting should increase if you're doing your client service model in an optimal way. And that you should see that happening. So well, that's that's another episode. We're, we'll we'll do a whole talk well, on, on referrals. Yeah, well, th- there's lots of of discussion to be had here. But let me sum up um, the episode before we get to Costanza Corner. One is, as we move down this path of designing your client service model that started with segmentation, that moved into your service matrix. What we talked about in this episode is then mapping out your contacts over time in a way that is rational for your business. All right. You're doing it on a monthly basis. You'll pull out the times where you can't, don't want to be doing contacts. And then what you want to do is build the processes in your business to execute on that model, setting expectations with clients, setting, you know, the, the appropriate way to execute on all these different contacts in a way that gets better each and every year, in a way that makes your clients feel like you're raising your level of service. And so those are the the takeaways from this episode. The other takeaway is we we're throwing out these client ideas. Pick one. Each episode when Book we throw it. out these on the, yeah, exactly. When we throw out all these ideas, just pick one that you might want to start to use in your in your practice that's going to raise your game. So we're going to come back with as always our uplifting Costanza corner. This is the whole truth. Stick with us. And welcome back, everybody. We're in our Costanza Corner, our uplifting segment. And Kurt, I got a good one for you today. You're going <laughs> to appreciate right. this. So I, I, I think it's fair to say that just about everyone knows someone who has cancer or has dealt with that. It's so prevalent. It's Is that fair to say? Yeah. I love how we always start on the dark side. And we start like, pretty dark. And, and yeah. then ramp up the, the, the sunshine at the yeah. end. Yeah. But this is going to be some sunshine because I do think that- we have a really good shot of of cancer getting cured in our lifetime. I mean, you, yeah. you talk to people and the rate of progress is now moving in a big way. And a lot of this is happening in the bio. It's a J curve, right? Yeah. So I'm going to read two paragraphs of a study that uh, an article on a study that was just released. So research have developed the first blood test that can accurately detect more than 50 types of cancer and identify in which tissue the cancer originated often before there are any clinical signs or symptoms of the disease. So this is before you even have cancer, just like identifying it before it happens. Think about that. It's wild. In a paper published today on March 31st in the leading council of annals of oncology, the researchers show that the test, which could eventually be used in national cancer screening programs, think about that, has a 0.7% false positive rate for cancer detection, meaning less than the 1% of people would be wrongly identified as having cancer. In other words, highly effective. So think about what the future could look like. Before you even have it, you can do this screening. And I'm going to I'm gonna guess if we know that it could come, we can take a lot of steps towards preventing it from even happening. That's It's really incredible. All right. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate you being with us. This is The Whole Truth. We'll see you next time. Please note that this content was created as of the specific date indicated and reflects views as of that date. It will be kept solely for historical purposes and opinions may change without notice in reacting to shifting economic, market, business, and other conditions. Touchstone funds are distributed by Touchstone Securities Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer and member FINRA and SIPC. SIPC.